to the Lord. Maybe we'll just stop there and read nothing else. <laughs> Guys, what do you think? You think that's a good place to stop? That's a good place to stop. We'll just stop right there. One verse. No, let's keep on reading. It says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man hath ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are the members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. A lot of verses, a lot of things to look at tonight. We'll have a word of prayer, and we'll dive right in. Father, I pray you bless the next few minutes that we have here tonight. We love you. We thank you for your love for us. Help us as we look at this passage of Scripture. Help us be able to apply it to our lives and to use this. And we need good, strong homes and good, strong marriages today. We love you. Bless the time that we have. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We are commanded in verse number 18 to be filled with the Spirit. And being filled with the Spirit is the only way we ever hope to be Christ-like in our daily walk. When we're filled with the Spirit, we'll display the fruits of the Spirit in our life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance will be a part of our relationships that we have. And so we see a progression here from being filled with the Spirit to Spirit-filled worship, submitting yourselves to one another, to a Spirit-filled marriage. You want ingredients to a good marriage. One of the keys to a good marriage is to be filled with the Spirit of God. Love, joy, and peace, the first three of the fruits of the Spirit, would be great in every home, wouldn't it? And if we're filled with the Spirit of God, those attributes are going to be displayed in our lives, and they're important. And when the Holy Spirit, when He has control of a life, it won't only revolutionize our walk with God, but it will revolutionize the relationships that we have. That's one of the things that we look at in this passage as we continue on over the next few weeks as we continue on in this area, and we see how as we're filled with the Spirit of God, it will help us in relationships. Beginning in verse number 22, we see Paul begins to talk about this. He walks through some of the most important relationships we have in life. He starts here with marriage. And no matter how great your marriage is today, those who are here, those who are um, watching online, or those of you I bug that you should watch this later on, and uh, that's one of the bad things about online. You really don't know. There should be a platform to where I could know who actually watches. Because like Facebook, it just tells you you have so many views, but that means someone could have just clicked on it one second and they're done, and they never watched it. YouTube, I at least can look at the analytics a little bit there and see the average amount of time all the viewers watch. So it doesn't tell me who views it, how long they do it. But, you know, if there's like 100 viewers and the average time's 30 minutes, that means about half of them probably watch the whole thing, maybe. 
but then you know you have a hundred viewers and the average time was five minutes you know that they didn't stay on very long you know check in check out type thing and so that's good or you know you could do what you did before if you're watching online you can just let me know so I could look at that later on but I don't think people like to do that much anymore and that's much better to be in to me it's much better in person but I'm thankful we still have the technology to make it work for those who can't be here and so but wherever you're at in your marriage today there's always room for growth there's always place in our relationships to give more to God and to let him work in our lives and the fact is we can all use some teaching in these verses we can all use some help in our marriages here and you might say well pastor I'm not even married look at these two sitting on the front row they're not even married Good thing, you know, barely turned 18, 16. But this is a good time for you to take some good notes on what to do someday if that happens in your life. And we'll see, miracles still happen. So it is possible for both of you someday. And you might be staying in the room and you might be single in the room today. You don't know if you'll stay single forever. There could be a time, so take good notes and be ready for it. You never know what the Lord has ahead for you. And you might say, well, pastor, I'm never going to get married again. Well, take the lessons here and apply it to your relationships in general. There's something for everyone here. Sometimes I'll hear people say, pastor, when you talk about marriage, you should only have the married couples come and everyone else can stay home. No, there's principles for everyone found right here. And so that's good. So like Felix tonight, I know he's going to go home to Erica and say, hey, pastor said these are the things you need to be worked. Don't do that. That's not going to help you there. <laughs> What would be good, Felix, is for you to go home and say, what be, are you listening, Felix? Earth to Felix, okay. So what would be smart would be for you to go home and say, hey, Erica, the message spoke to my heart. There's some areas I'm going to be working on in our marriage. That would be a good way of worrying. Don't be telling her there's stuff she needs. But yeah, anyway, so that wouldn't be a good idea there. And so you think about this. As the church goes, so goes the nation. I'm a firm believer in that. And I'm amazed at the stance of a lot of churches right now. Shocked. I got into a little Twitter war today. And uh, some guy thinking it's okay for churches. He's a pastor in California. And he says it's fine for churches not to sing. I said, dude, you need to read your Bible. I don't know if I should have said it like that. I don't know how spirit-filled that response was, but I feel it was a spirit telling me to say that. But maybe it wasn't. I don't know. But... It's imperative, and think about this, it's imperative that our marriages be all that God designed them to be because our homes is where it all begins, and it's so important. Some time ago, I read the story about a couple who celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. They were in their 70s. Ted, the husband, had lost much of his hearing during this time, and yet they were still getting along together and celebrating this great anniversary. Their family came from all over and celebrated together, through the mid-morning into the afternoon, finally towards sundown, all the family went home. Betsy and Ted decided to walk out on the front porch and sit down on the swing and watch the sunset. The old gentleman pulled his tie loose and leaned back and didn't say much. Betsy looked at him somewhat in wonder and said, You know, Ted, I'm really proud of you. The old gentleman turned and looked at, his rather look, he, and looked at her rather quizzically. And after a moment said with a puzzled look on his face, well, Betsy, I'm kind of tired of you too. And um, he just didn't quite understand or hear what she said. And, um, but the sad thing is, far too many marriages reach that place where they get tired of one another. 
The husband and the wife just get tired of one another, go their separate ways, and that's not how God designed marriage to be. God wants our marriages strong. He wants them to last. He wants them to be a reflection of his, his relationship with his people. He wants them to bring glory to his name. I want to talk about a little bit of time tonight, the spirit-filled spirit marriage. I want to talk about the foundation of it, the fundamentals of it, and the fruit of a spirit-filled marriage. Number one, we see the bedrock of a spiritual or of a strong marriage. The bedrock of a strong marriage. Something that you'll notice from verse 22 through verse 33, the Lord is mentioned 14 times or referred to 14 different times. And it's clear that the Lord is essential as the foundation of a strong marriage. The Bible tells us in Psalm 127, verse number 1, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. And this verse teaches us the truth that every endeavor in life must be based on a relationship with the Lord. And as his love operates in the heart of a husband and a wife, that married couple is better able to love one another when the Lord is at the foundation of what they do. I'm able to love my wife better today than I could have before I knew the Lord. My love's deeper, stronger, pure because I'm able to love her with his love. That's why I stress to the young people, before you ever fall in love, with someone, fall in love with God. As you will never be able to build a strong relationship without having a good relationship with God because God is love. He equals love. He is the essence of love. Without the Lord, there is no love. That's why it's so important as a young person to get that figured out. And people in love with Jesus are able to be channels through which his love can flow to others around us. Being in the right, being rightly related to the Lord Jesus brings some divine dimensions to our marriages. When both the husbands and wives are in a growing relationship with the Lord, they can pray together. They can worship together. They can discuss the things of God together. Their mutual relationship with God moves their own relationship beyond the physical into the spiritual. Thus their love is stronger, pure, and enduring so much. And as I say all those things, we look around us, over 50% of all marriages in our nation fail. Almost 50% of Christian marriages fail. Many fall apart during stormy times, be it debt, be it the day-to-day -day business of life, loss of interest, or adultery, or a host of other things can bring to the brink of disaster. And that's so important. What you've got to understand is you must have Christ as the foundation of our homes. Without the Lord being where he should be, you are laboring in vain. There is no point to build. And you might say, well, I know someone who wasn't saved and they had a good marriage. And I believe there are. I've seen people who haven't been saved and they stay together and they've been married many, many years but those marriages can never achieve the spiritual purposes God has for those marriages. They can never reach that potential because they don't know the Lord. And so you've got to understand something. 
that marriage might be real and that love deep, but it can never be anything God designed marriage to be because there must be spirituality mixed in with it. That's how God designed it. Number one, we see the bedrock of spirit-filled marriage, of a spirit-filled marriage. Number two, we see the basics of a strong marriage. There are several non-negotiable essentials that stand as pillars in every strong spiritual marriage. And this passage shares some of that with us. You look at verse number 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Look down at verse number 28. It says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Some of the, basic, some of the basics of a strong marriage, some of the pillars, some of the things that are so needed. The first one, letter A, is love. Love is key. When we speak of love, we're not talking about the type of love that's portrayed in Hollywood or in a Hallmark movie. Ooh, that makes me sick even thinking about that one right there. Movies and television depict love as nothing more than a sexual desire. And while the sexual relationship within marriage is important, even it flows from a deeper, special, spiritual kind of love. Paul describes that love to us in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, verse 4 through 6. And the Bible makes this clear to us, and I'm going to read that for you, and I'm going to give you some thoughts there. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you can turn there if you want. You don't have to turn there, and I'll give you the meaning of it all there in a minute. Verse number 4 through 6, the Bible says, Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. We talk about love. We see some characteristics about love here. We think about the first thing there is love suffereth long. That means it's patient and endurance even when provoked, long-tempered. Love does not retaliate. And it's there in your notes for you. Charity suffereth long. That's love. What else does love do? Love is kind. In verse 4 there, it talks about, and this word refers to active goodness. It's never hateful or mean. Love is kind in word and action all the time. That's the type of love that needs to be displayed in our marriages. We keep looking here. Not only does it say that it suffereth long and is kind, but it says charity. It envieth not. And envieth not. True love is never jealous. Instead of being jealous when others prosper or excel, love is pleased when others do well. It might be in a marriage and one spouse gets a promotion at work and the other one says, I should have gotten a promotion at work. I've been working at my job longer and harder than you do. No. Love doesn't, envy's not. That's important. Love vaunteth not itself. This phrase literally means doesn't make a parade. Love does not brag. It doesn't draw attention to itself or what it's doing. That's the type of love we need in marriage today. It envieth not and vaunteth not itself. The Bible says there in verse number four still, it's not puffed up. We think of puffed up. Love's not arrogant. Love's not proud. It does not demand to be number one. Verse number five tells us, doth not behave itself unseemly. Love's never rude, but always treats others with compassion, consideration, and respect. Next thing it says, seeketh not her own. True love is never selfish and self-centered. 
but always active and interested in what will profit others. It never looks itself first. How's my spouse treating me? No, love says, how can I show my love to my spouse? It's seeking not her own. The next thing, it's not easily provoked. True love doesn't keep records of evil done to it, but willingly endures all slights and injuries. It is not irritable. The Bible says that love thinketh no evil. That means takes no worthless inventory. Two thoughts are in mind here. First, genuine love does not um, attribute evil motive to people. They did that to hurt me. My spouse said that because they wanted to make me upset. They did, this is the thing. So many times we as people will look at someone else and be like, I know why they did what they did. And let's just get something straight. You don't have a clue why anybody does what they do. Are you them? No, but I know. I have that intuition. And some people have an intuition. And sometimes your intuition is spot on. I get it. But even that intuition being spot on does not mean you know someone's heart and what they're thinking. And that's what love does. Love thinks no evil. And genuine love doesn't keep a record of the evils done to it. It doesn't hold a grudge. Love rejoices not in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. And it rejoices when the truth is proclaimed. And when the truth wins the victory, love is glad for the truth, even when the truth hurts. That's the type of love that is mentioned here in Ephesians chapter number 5. The Bible also tells us in Titus 2 verse number 4 that the wife is to love her husband. A home filled with love is a home filled with the essence of heaven. Love is key. It's the most foundational pillar in marriage. And it's the first fruit of the Spirit. Which means to me, you can't have the proper home and have the love inside your home that you should have if you're not filled with the Spirit of God. Every husband and wife needs to be filled with the Spirit of God. Letter B, we saw love. Letter B, we, see the, we, we think of the word loyalty. Loyalty. Sometimes we look at that word and some people don't like that word loyalty. But loyalty, look at verse number um, 31 of our text. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This speaks of the law of leaving and cleaving. And that's what God expected, and that's what happened with the first married couple in Genesis 2, verse number 24. That's what he expects in every marriage. When a man and a woman are married, there is a fundamental shift in their relationship with others. Their relationship with mom and dad is forever altered. It can still be strong, and you should, and I'm a firm believer that as an adult, and you still, you read the Bible where it talks about honor your father and your mother, I still believe, being a married couple, it's still my job to honor my parents as an adult. I believe that that is foundational. I believe that's biblical. And I think, and we do our best with Caroline's parents, with my parents, to honor all of them. We make sure we send them special gifts often. We see them often. We fly Caroline's mom out here. And it's an important thing. You should keep a good relationship. But that relationship with mom and dad 
does not take the place of the husband and wife relationship. You're leaving and cleaving to your wife. Children need to let go, and so do parents. Few things are more devastating in a marriage than the failure to leave and to cleave. And that's why I encourage young married couples. And sometimes it doesn't always work out this way. And sometimes they say, oh, we're going to live with my parents right after we get... That's not a great idea. It's not. And I know nowadays a lot of people like to stay around and all that, but it just doesn't work out very well. That's not how God designed it to be. God designed for you to get married and to leave and to cleave to your spouse. Honor your parents. Love your parents. But don't move in with your parents. Remember that and don't forget that. And uh, some of you will probably still do whatever I do the opposite of what I say on that. But just remember, I told you, I warned you. But I won't say that to you because love doesn't remember those things. So we just talked about that a minute ago. The word joined, as it talks about here, as we just read there in verse number 31, says, and, they shall be joined, and he sh- and shall be joined unto his wife. That word joined means to be glued. It has the idea of two things being bonded together in such a way that they cannot be torn apart. It's a bond so strong and so deep that you cannot tell where one begins and the other ends. That's how your marriage is supposed to be. You're supposed to be joined together. And when I say that, that means nothing should come between you. That means kids shouldn't come between you. Church members shouldn't come between you. Friends shouldn't come between you. No one, no one should be able to come between you and your spouse. You're joined together. You're glued together. Unless you're Ryan and Lori and you're practicing social distancing between each other back there. (laughs) Then it's okay. (laughs) Had to just say it once. I've I've been thinking it this whole time. I had to throw that in there just once. That's good. Social distancing. And I saw the, I saw this thing that they're saying in New York that if you're going to have a relationship with someone you're not married to, that you should wear a face mask when you do it. <laughs> I, I'll sh- I can send you the link if anybody wants. And it's literally this couple getting ready to kiss, and they both got, both got a face mask on. And uh, hey, maybe I'll cut down on fornication a little bit, may, you know? Or maybe I'll leave. Never mind, never mind. Just drop that there and not go any deeper with any of that. But but as a, married, as a married couple, you're supposed to be joined together, glued together. Nothing should come between you. And that's why it's so important to be, and Joe, I don't know why you're picking up that baby doll back there, but nothing should come between you. And that's why it's so important. You've got to be very careful, and those watching online too, you need to make sure you listen to me. You've got to be very careful who you spend all your time with. Your spouse should be number one. They should know they're number one. And guys, I think it's a stupid idea on your part to have a bunch of ladies as your friends. I don't even think it's smart to have any, unless they're your sister or mom. Or your aunt. I guess that could be included in there too. I don't, you shouldn't. I would not have a close friend that's a woman if you're a man. It's stupid. And if you're a lady, I would not have a man as a close friend. I would not. Why? Because nothing needs to come between you. And so many times, I've seen it and heard it over and over again. A husband and wife are having a hard time with one another. 
but the lady at work is so nice to me. And I can share my feelings with her. And she cares about me. My wife doesn't even care about me. You, get, you don't give an inch. You are together. You're one flesh. And don't forget that. Don't hold on to that. And this kind of loyalty is spelled out back in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 again. And in verse number 7, it talks about, it says, this is what love does. It bears all things. It believeth all things. Hope is all things. Love endures all things. That's the, what the loyalty that's spelled out there. And some of the characteristics of true loyalty is loyalty bears all things. There is loyalty even when things are tough. It doesn't walk out in the day of trouble. It works together to get through the struggles that you're having. That's what marriage is supposed to be. You bear all things together. You don't go and share. And that's another thing, and it's not in my notes, but you've got to be very careful. You just don't go share secrets about your marriage with anyone else. Now I get it, sometimes you need some pastoral counsel and there's some help or other counsel you get, and I get that. And I, I've counseled many people in their marriages, and one of the things in premarital counseling, and I, I helped Marquise and um, Sandy, I gave them some tips and different things. And they need, you know, there needs to be someone they can go talk to if they need help. But they need to agree on it together and know who that person is. There's, there's a method to all of it. But love and that type of loyalty, it bears all things. And you need to be loyal to one another even when things are tough. Love believeth all things. Loyalty believes in one's mate. It trusts them. Love hopeth all things. Loyalty never looks at the worst in them, but only believes the best and endureth all things. Loyalty sticks it out. Loyalty doesn't abandon the fort. We see some pillars. We see love. We see loyalty, letter C. We see respect. Respect. Mutual respect is fundamental for any marriage that expects long-term success. Several passages speak about that. And as we look at our text here, we look at verse number 22. And I read a little bit ago, I'll read it again. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and as he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives beat their own husbands in everything. That's Bible right there. It's written right here. And you say, well, what, what are you explaining? What are you trying to say with all this? And some men love to hang these verses over their wives and be like, woman, you're supposed to submit to me. That's the stupidest thing for any guy to ever say. Because you're missing the whole point of the text before our eyes. And some women read these verses and they think that they're inferior to their husbands and neither interpretation where the man has a certain view or the lady does, neither one of those is correct. In these verses, verse 22 through 24, and I believe it's important that we, these are here and they're important and they're here for a reason, but God is not establishing the husband as some kind of dictator. Nor is God putting the wife in a position of servitude. The word submit means to arrange under. A truly spirit-filled wife recognizes God's order in the home. She understands that it is a reflection of God's order in the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and we are to submit to his headship. That's why we look at everything going on in government around us and everything else. 
The head of this church is not Sacramento. It's not Washington, D.C. The head of this church is not standing right here tonight. The head of the church is Jesus. And when he speaks, we follow what he says, no matter what anyone else thinks or says. He's the head. We submit to him as the head of the church. And the husband has been given the responsibility to lead the home. And a godly wife follows the husband's leadership willingly and humbly. And don't tell me that you're a spirit-filled woman if you don't know your place in your home. It's true. There, and there are times where the man doesn't do his job and the lady's got to step up, and I'm thankful for that, and I'm grateful for that. The husband is not to demand submission from his wife. She is to offer it freely and lovingly. This submission is to her own husband only. Women are not below men. They are equals. In marriage, a husband and wife are equal even in the home. But God has invested leadership in the husband, and God will leave him responsible for the home. He will give an account to God for his actions as the head of the home when he stands before Jesus. You look at verse 28 and 29. Talk more about men for a minute and get off the ladies there, because we got way more ladies in the room tonight than men, so... Won't stay there very long. Verse 28, So ought men to love their wives as their own body. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Think about this. I willingly submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in my life because I know he loves me. I understand that he gave himself for me, sacrificially, willingly, lovingly and unconditionally. I respond to his love by submitting to him. The same is true in the home. When the husband loves his wife sacrificially, willingly, lovingly, and unconditionally, she will respond by respecting him. Sometimes I will have in my office a husband and wife in there. And the husband will make the mistake on saying, my wife just doesn't know how to respect, she doesn't respect me. Men want to be respected. That's why, ladies, your husband does something, you know, he puts a new light fixture in the house. What does he want you to do? Come look at it and be like, oh, you did such a good job. Honey, look at what I did. Look at what I did. Isn't that what men do? Didn't God do the same thing? God made light and said, and it was good. Yeah, look at that. See, so men, and you know, there's kind of a similarity there, and I won't go too much into that. But do you know why women have a hard time submitting to their husbands? Are you ready? Because men are anything but Christ-like in their love for their wives. Right? If he was more, if he, if he loved me, I would respect him. Hopefully you covered your nose back there when you sneezed. It's so amazing how you look at sneezing and everything differently. <clears throat> and all that. I lost my train of thought. Thanks a lot, Maria. 
But that's one of the things. If my husband was more, if he deserved, I would submit if he acted like it. That's a common thing. But this is the thing. This is the hard part about it. Look at what it says. Eat, and you see there it says you're told to submit without respect to how he acts towards you. You're told to submit to your husband, what does it say? As unto the Lord. We can even go to 1 Peter chapter number 3 and the first six verses talk there about how if a husband's lost and a wife will follow her husband, how God could use that to bring the husband to the Lord. Men, your wives will be more likely to follow your leading if she knows that you love her with every fiber of your being. Verse 28 and 29 that we read teaches us that the husband is to love his wife like he loves his own flesh. Husbands are to nourish their wives and they are to cherish their wives. What does it mean to nourish? That means, husbands, we're supposed to bring our wives to maturity. A godly husband helps his wife to reach her fullest potential in God. He helps her to grow by meeting her needs and by encouraging, being encouragement to her. He's to nourish the word cherish. It means to soften with heat. The husband is to give tender love to his spouse. This is the primary want and need of most women. What does a lady want? They want to feel love. They want to feel special. They need time. They need attention and a sense of security. And a loving husband should give that to his wife. The Bible does say in 1 Peter 3, verse number 7, it calls the woman the weaker vessel. That's Bible, not pastor speaking, okay? Remember that, Bible, not pastor. This doesn't mean that the wife is inferior or weak. This phrase refers to a vessel that's delicate and of immense value. It refers to something that must be handled with care. That's what it's referring to. We see letter C, respect. We talk about these pillars. Letter D, the pillar of faithfulness. Look at verse number 31 here in Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 31. It says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. We think of faithfulness. It speaks of the bond that exists between the husband and the wife. It's a bond that can only exist between two people. There's no room for a third wheel in the relationship. It's never acceptable for a man or a woman to have a um, sexual or, or even an emotional relationship with a member of the opposite sex. It's not. Well, I didn't do anything wrong. You emotionally get attached. That's wrong too. Our relationships with our spouses are meant to be one of absolute faithfulness, both physically and emotionally. And adultery is sin regardless of the form that it takes. Physical adultery is sin. And what did Jesus say? If you even look on a woman and lust in your mind, so physical and what you think. 
physical and emotional adultery. Sometimes we get stuck just on the physical, but mental adultery too. And men, you watched it online, you that are here tonight, there are some things that go with that. I don't think being faithful to your spouse is looking at porn. I do not see how being faithful to your spouse and porn go hand in hand. It doesn't. Guys, be faithful to your wife. I've, had, I've dealt with couples and things, and be faithful. Be faithful. Husbands, you're supposed to love your wife as Christ loved the church. He's never cheated on us with anyone. Never, and he never will. And a man should never do those things. Adultery is sin, and it needs to be preached more than what it is in our churches today. We see the bedrock of a strong marriage. We see the basics of a strong marriage. Then number three, we see the blessings of a strong marriage. What will be the outcome of all the love and effort in a marriage? A strong marriage will bear fruit to the glory of God. Let me share a couple of those things that it will produce. Letter A, a spirit-filled marriage sanctifies the home. We go back and we read some of these verses, verse 21 and 22. It says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Verse 22 says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Then look at verse number 29. It says, For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. A marriage that is lived out according to the principles in the word of God is a marriage that keeps God at the center, and it will produce a home where Christ is at the center of everything that we do. What we see, why should a wife submit herself to her husband? Because you're doing it as to the Lord. Why should a husband love his wife? Because it's the love that Christ has for you. And you can keep your home set apart and doing what's right when you put the Lord at the center of it. It's so important. It is a marriage that opens the door for God to bless in so many ways. It's a marriage that invites the power of God to dwell on the, on the home. And so we see letter A, a spirit-filled marriage sanctifies the home. Letter B, a spirit-filled marriage glorifies the Lord. Look at verse number 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. A marriage that operates according to the principles of God's word brings glory to the Lord. God is glorified when we live out our marriages according to his precepts. This is true because a marriage that functions according to the word of God is a marriage that honors him. And doing his will always brings glory to his name. That's so important that we do that. Let her see. We see a spirit-filled marriage witnesses to the lost. A strong, godly marriage is a witness to a lost generation because it's a living, breathing example of Christ and His church. It demonstrates the power and the love of God and the grace of God to all who witness it. A godly marriage exemplifies forgiveness, patience, love, hope, and the power of God's saving grace. A good, godly marriage is a powerful witness to this lost world. When the world looks at our marriages, they should see how Christ loved his church. They should see that there's something different about our love for our spouse than those that don't know the Lord. And then letter D, a spirit-filled marriage instructs the next generation. 
Chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first command with promise, that may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. In these verses, Paul speaks to the children in the home, and children have a duty to submit to their parents. If I'm talking today to the husbands and wives, we'll talk about kids next time we get together. We need to realize that our children learn about marriage and about how to treat their future spouse by watching you. How you treat your spouse is probably how your kids will treat theirs. How you talk to your spouse is probably how they will talk to their spouse. Dad, how you love your wife will probably be how your son loves his wife. Mom, how you react to your husband will be how your daughter will react, will react towards her. I was just, a couple weeks ago, I was counseling with someone about their marriage. One of the things that the person said, they said, I, I learned a lot about what marriage was from my parents. And I had to learn that those things were not exactly the things that I should be doing in my marriage. And, you know, all of us, this is my first marriage, hopefully only marriage. That's the goal there. You know, I told Caroline, if she remarries, if I die, she doesn't get anything, any of my life insurance or any of that. That new guy can take care of her. The kids can have all of it then. And uh, anyways, um, I'm adamant about that. No, I'm just kidding. But, well, kind of kidding. A little bit, a little bit there. That wasn't, that was too much of a laugh there from you. <laughs> but what example did I have of what's, what a marriage should be? What I saw in my mom and dad. And there will be times where Caroline is very happy with certain things I do. And she, one of the things I know that she notices is the fact that it's a lot of the things my dad did for my mom. And my mom and dad, they've been married, they're going on 57 years, 62, yeah, 57 years. And they love one another completely. Was home a perfect place? Of course, every once in a while, and they might be watching tonight, so I've got to be careful what I say. They've gotten arguments every once in a while. They were not, you know, does every marriage, are you happy 100% of the time? About 50, 50, no, about, you know, quite a bit more than that. But they had their little struggles and things, but they love one another. And my dad's been a great example of what, and if I could look and I look at a marriage, I look at my dad's love for my mom, I think that it exactly fits what Ephesians is talking about right here. And I think my mom and how she's, been with my dad and how they've worked together for 57 years, I think she fits this passage very well. And so because of that, it was a great example for me. Now, you got to think about that. So let me just tell you this, though. You say, well, well, my parents, they abused one another, and that's why I'm the way I am. Do you realize there's no excuse for you to be the way that you are? Some, it's my past. It's my parents and the way that they were. I get it. Not everyone had a good home like I did. I get it. But we often use a lot of those things as excuses to why we can't do better. But you've got to understand something. When you get saved, the Bible says you're a new creature. And old things are passed away. And all things are become new. So don't tell me you can't do better. Because you can. 
Sometimes we look and we look at our lives and we hear people and all, we hear it a lot today, and I've got to be careful what I say right here, but we hear it a lot today. And, um, you know, the problems of this world, the problems of America, America is just not fair. Be careful, Brian. Be careful what you say right here. America is a great place to live. And I don't care what color your skin is. You do have opportunities. You do. And you might say, well, some are more privileged than others. I understand some live in different positions and different things. But the way America was set up, if you want to succeed, go out and do it. And you can. And what we have today is a lot of people, and it could be whites, it could be any color, nothing. I'm not saying anybody in general. There are a lot of people that use the excuses to not do anything and then just want everything handed to them. That's why people like certain people who might be running soon because they can get handed a lot more things. You know, I hear, I've heard the past few days, you know, you look at Twitter or you look at Facebook and different things and there's people, California is spiraling out of control with all these cases. Governor, shut it down. Pay our mortgages for the next year. And let's keep everything shut down for 90 days. Like, what planet do you live on? You want the government pay? You want to do that? You want to go down that road and have the government pay us to stay in our homes and do nothing? But the sad thing is, there are people that want that nowadays. And it's absolutely crazy. And so don't use an excuse, well, my parents were like this, and I'm not... I'm not saying anything bad when I say this. My parents have a great marriage together. My mom's parents, that was a very rough home she grew up in. She didn't hear I love you until she was, got married at six. She got married at 16. I believe there was a reason why she got married that young. That's why I can't get off the phone without her saying she loves me three times. That's just how she is. She... She makes, up for, she makes up for what she didn't hear to make sure I know it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And it's so embarrassing when I'm with someone from church and she's on the phone, all right, mom, love you, you know, love you, love you, you know, and then hang up the phone. And uh, that's me honoring her and doing, yeah, anyways. But she could use that for an excuse and not have a very good marriage. But she didn't. My parents got saved. God worked in their lives. It wasn't a perfect marriage. But God changed both of them and did a great work in their lives. And so a spirit-filled marriage instructs the next generation. And live like the person you are and stop the cycle of sins that have been operating in your family for so many years. This takes one generation to change things. Marriage is a wonderful gift that God's given to us. And a marriage that operates as God intended to is a beautiful thing. But the only way a marriage can be what God designed it to be is for both the husband and wife to be filled with the Spirit. And I know some of you are thinking, well, I'm filled with the Spirit. I'm just waiting for my spouse to. I don't think you're really filled with the Spirit. I think you're filled with pride, if that's your answer right there. I'll get filled with the Spirit when He does. That's real Christian, isn't it? Why don't you be a good example? Well, the husband's supposed to lead, and I'll submit to him when he leads. That's a great answer right there, right? You ladies, I just gave you an answer right there. You're supposed to be filled with the Spirit. Do your best. 
the biblical, you think about this, we look at our world today and marriage is falling apart, the meaning of it. Literally, this world has done its best to change the definition of marriage. The biblical standard for marriage is no longer what most people view in our world. Men want to marry men. Women want to marry women. People want to have multiple spouses. I haven't read about this guy that petitioned and to get permission to marry his goat. Well, you look as a society gets worse and worse. It goes from men with men to men with beasts. It's all Romans chapter 1. It's all laid out right there before our eyes. How It's amazing how the Bible's always right on everything and how everything turns out. But what I want you to understand is this. Satan hates a godly marriage. Why? Because God ordained it. God set it up. He knows that the home is the very bedrock of society. You wonder why we're a mess today? Look at the homes and then look at the churches and I tell you why we're a mess in America today. Look at what the home was like in the 1950s and 60s. Most unsaved people's homes were more godly than Christian homes in 2020. A sad statement. That's why people who still believe the Bible, people like us, should take our stand for marriage, should do our best to have good marriages and to live out what the Lord has done for us. And the best way to do that is for husbands and wives to be filled with the Spirit. The most important thing, and anytime I give marriage counseling, and when I do it, the thing I always let them know, the best thing you can do for your spouse is to be filled with the Spirit. That's where it all begins. Tonight, the best thing you can do for your spouse is to be filled with the Spirit. Let's be filled with the Spirit. Let's have good, strong, godly homes. Father, we love you and we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your love for us. Thank you for our church. Thank you for those who are here. Thank you for those who listen online tonight. Pray that you help our homes. Help us to take heed to what we heard this evening and apply it to our lives. We love you. Bless the rest of our evening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.